Welcome to Wicked Laughs Weekly Fun Podcast, where every week we bring a smile to people's faces or we force you to do it, damn it. My name is Bucky Lewis. I'm the host for the, uh, this week's podcast. And of course, I have with me my lovely special, in quotes, special assistant, Tom Hayes. Tom, how are you? How are you? Well, I can't wait to give everybody the big smile on their yeah, face. Well, tell them, tell them that, that guy last week that uh, punched you in the face because he didn't like a joke you were <laughs> well, telling. You know, they, they get that way when they come home from work and find you're in their house. <laughs> and especially rearranging the furniture right yeah <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh messing around yeah yeah so a piece of bread a piece of italian bread took me out but uh okay uh, well you know you're not getting any younger you know we're, we're uh, leaving this world uh, one piece at a time uh, uh hey look at little kids don't have any teeth i'm just i'm reverting to my five-year-old status yeah well yeah pretty soon you'd be wearing um you know, I, I was talking to Tom earlier. Does he wear, do you wear briefs or boxers? He said, depends. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and we were worried about what would be funny. I think we're on a roll. No, this is uh, with butter. I guess I get it, Tom, <laughs> the bread, but never mind. Um, we got, we're, I'm excited about this week because we're going to be talking about um, different experiences that you and I have had throughout our long careers, our long and varied careers, especially in the humor business, because we've seen how much humor and comedy has changed so much over the years and what people find funny now versus what they found funny then, especially young people. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if, yeah, young people, I don't know, we don't, that's, that's evading us right now. We, we, we haven't been, we haven't grabbed the handle on that one yet. You know, that's a tightrope. Well, for, for now though, we, you, we, you and I are loaded with experiences that just have gone uh, bizarre, bizarro throughout the, throughout our careers. Uh, what do you remember as one of the most bizarre ones, because you and I were on the road for years, not not together, but separately. You know, I was more coming from from a music standpoint and happy hours on Cape Cod and and uh, the North Country Fair up at Mount Snow and in Killington and things like that. And you came at it from the stand up perspective of Boston comedy when Boston comedy was the number one in the in the in the world, basically. Yeah, it was. It was the place they were supplying with the entire industry, everything from the Tonight Show to sitcoms, uh, movies, you know, we could go down the, the list over and over again. We've done it a million times. But um, yeah, you know, it was those times being out. Uh, I mean, the ultimate road trip of all road trips was, of course, my trip with uh, uh, my best friend at the time. And, you know, God bless his soul, Bobby Seidel. And that was an entire week in Prague, Czech Republic. It had changed from Czechoslovakia to Czech Republic. And um, it was, uh, if, if anything, there could be a, a, an entire movie on that one week. And, you know, if I ever get the time, well. Well, I, I got to stop you. What on earth, who on earth, because you and I worked with a lot of agents back then. And I know one of my agents when I was with, uh, when I had left the cousins and gone to the Lewis brothers, we weren't good enough to play in the Boston area. However, we, we were great 
to play in uh, Oshkosh, Bagosh, Maine, you know, way up in Northern Maine, because we were a Boston band playing in Northern Maine. And, and um, you, and you had bodies and you had instruments. And we had instruments. Yeah. And we looked the part, <laughs> I think, but what, what, um, what was your agent smoking to get you to go all the way to Prague? And what were you smoking rather <laughs> to get you to go to Prague? Well, it, 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 it wasn't to do a gig though. You know, a, an entire movie evolved. I mean, a script, I had to write it down every night. Bobby would, there was, I had jet lag and Bobby would be sleeping and I would be writing like crazy in a notebook, trying to remember everything that happened. And it, and it stuck. And in, in, in fact, it became, um, probably a routine that I did four or five times uh, to full houses of people who came to see Bobby or whatever. So I had to have that connection that they had to know him as his character. Well, hold on. Hold on a second. Uh, let's start from the beginning. Why did you and Bobby? Because I, I obviously, folks, Bob Seibel was a very funny comedian. I had him on my TV show. Um, once or twice, I had Tom on my TV show once or twice back in the 90s. And Bobby Seibel always said that he was the oldest living comedian. And so you guys were friends through your bond of being in the stand-up comedy business. But what made you guys go to Prague? Well, one of the reasons that I retired at an early age from the corporate world was, you know, here's this guy, you know, and We'll, we'll get into his character in a little bit, but here's this guy who's got no money. <laughs> he does comedy when he's around and he's, he's taking, he's, he's gets jobs as a courier. Okay. Which means he will take whatever documents, God knows what, he, if he was working for the CIA or what, I, I don't think he really knew, but he would take these courier flights to deliver a package or something and he'd travel to the most exotic places in the world he would go on tankers and travel to south america <laughs> not not cruise ships but a tanker an oil tanker and he would have a little room and whatever <clears throat> and so i said who is this guy that he's got he's traveled to all these places went to venice 14 times it was part of his act you know, Angiamo, he says, I learned to speak Italian. It's just, they make everything sound. He goes, Dove is el bagno, which means, where's the bathroom? You know, so he would do this whole thing. So I said, who is he to do this on no money? Hell, I'll, I'll retire early and I'll go with him. And that's exactly, <laughs> and we'll have, both have no money, but we'll have these stories and these adventures. And he used to find the cheapest trip trips in the world. He had this access to, um, you know, let's, <laughs> you know, let's go to Alaska in the winter, you know, because it's cheap. You know? So he called me and said, Tommy, I got a deal. Ch Czech Republic, 500 bucks, <laughs> double occupancy, uh, plane fare, round trip plane fare. Uh, transportation, breakfast, <laughs> half day tour of the city. <laughs> but we gotta act now, he says, uh, because the double occupancies are going fast. Otherwise, you'll have to get a signal occupancy for fifth for five fifty. <laughs> it was two days later that I said to myself, 
what the hell did, was I thinking not to go for the extra 50 bucks because I had the room with him, which was an experience. Uh, he, uh, he used to, uh, his, his evening attire, Bobby's evening attire was to take Tom Brady's jersey, number 12, Patriots jersey, and that was it. It, he, he didn't wear anything else, anything else. <laughs> and, you know, peripheral vision's a horrible thing, you know, because as much as I train my, I can still see not only you, I can see all that stuff around you. <laughs> and here he is naked from the waist down and parading around the room. And I'm like, <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, Jesus, you know, Bobby, could you please put something? Why? I like it this way. <laughs> Excuse me. So, so get into the story. What, oh what happened? my God, the stories. And so, well, it began right at the end. I, I get stories too. So we got gotta... Well, okay. Well, I'll just do the, we'll do them in segments. I get to the airport and there he is sitting there bandaged. His whole face is bandaged. He's got a black eye. He's got a bandage across his nose, a bandage on his cheek. And he looks like hell. And I walk in and I say, what the hell happened? I, I took a, I took a plane. Well, you're a pilot, so you'll get this. I took a plane up the other day. I said, you took a plane up? Did you crash? No, no. I was doing a walk around. And he says, you have to do a walk around. You have to check the wings. You have to check the trucks. You have to check the, uh, the fuel. And that's, I said, yeah, so. I walked into the wing. <laughs> Jesus, and I hit it hard. It knocked me on my ass. He goes, <clears throat> I said, so you're trying to take a plane up and you're checking the thing and you, you, you walk into the wing. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was bleeding like a pig. He says, and everybody in the terminal saw it and they're laughing like hell and clapping for me. <laughs> so he says, and I'm upset because I'm using up my time. <laughs> oh that's right yeah <clears throat> so anyway so i went in i got toilet paper i put it all over me and i went up so that was just to start it's uh you know i didn't have any of that exotic uh those locations but i had some pretty interesting things happen along the way too i i obviously for censorship reasons and for sanity we're not going to go into some of the uh, real personal things, you know, like uh, leaving the, the cell phones uh, with the driver as you get on the tour bus you know, kind of thing. But uh, when you were in, uh, on stage, uh, you know, I was a lead guitar player in a band. When you get on stage, you're larger than life. It's like, like being in comedy, you're on stage, you de demand the audience to make them laugh. They think you're heroes, right? They think you're a hero. So, consequently you add alcohol to that <laughs> you know and and so there were a lot of times when i was young we we uh were with the cousins i've told you this before it was like a group called like the cow sills and the osmond family it was a uh, we were all related we would travel around to, uh new england new york and <clears throat> clean cut people playing masonic temples playing fairs one time we did a thing at the Copley in Boston. There are eight, uh, I think six or eight of us in the group, all cousins. And we had a whole band 
my cousin had her uh, organ. My brother had the drums. My uh, we had a whole full full band, and we had to play. In the middle of the room was a wrestling ring because <laughs> the, the 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 main event were female wrestlers for this jewelry convention. So here we are, we're, we're looking around just like uh, the chicken wire in, in the Blues Brothers, right? We're looking around going, how are we supposed to play? There's people all around us. So the agent came up with a bright idea. Well, why don't you guys um, play towards the head table, half the show, Turn it around, turn everything around the drums, you know, and then play for the back of the room. So we're, we're lifting up <laughs> the things the the, uh, you know, the, what do you call those, uh, uh, you know, the, oh, oh the, 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 the ropes. Yeah, we're lifting up the ropes, just like you see in the Three Stooges, and we're bringing in the drums, <laughs> bringing in this, and I think uh, the, the total time we were up there was like 30 minutes, you know, 15 minutes one side, turn around, 15 minutes another side, it was just right. Another time, we were playing in the, at the Lancaster Fair in Lancaster, New Hampshire, and the Lancaster Fair had a, a grandstand but between the grandstand and the infield was a horse track. So we would play. And then as soon as a horse race would go off, we'd stop until the horse was up. So my father decides to, <laughs> my father decides to bet on a horse. It's a true story. He wasn't a real big better. And he decides, oh, that horse looks pretty good. That horse looks pretty good. <laughs> so we're, we stop because the horse, the horse race starts and they're off. <laughs> so the horse gets around to the, to the last uh, uh, bend. And sure enough, the horse stumbles, breaks his ankle, has to be shot right there in the middle <laughs> of the, in the middle. That's my father's looking at his tickets going, really? <laughs> so... I mean, it's a sign. It's a sign. <laughs> so many, so many different stories. Many different that stories. actually happened. Actually, really? It actually happened. I'm not, I'm not making that one up. <laughs> the horror. I mean, what a tough I, I, I'll never forget to this day. I'm looking at his face. His jaw dropped because he's looking at his ticket going. <laughs> But I, one thing I, I, we have so many stories, Tom, but one thing that you told me recently, yesterday, the day before, uh, that our podcasts are starting to be popular, but they're even more popular in countries that we ha have no clue why, right? And yeah, this, one of the, uh, the technology is crazy. You know, you, as you know, um, you, this RSS feed, travels in places that you, you know, and all of a sudden I got a independent report, an email out of nowhere. I never heard of the company that we, you and I. Popular. Popular in Vietnam. We are number, <laughs> we are number 146. And we're climbing, I'm sure. <laughs> climbing. I hope. I hope it's not like my credit score. I hope that's not. Like, but um, 
if we try harder, Bucky, I think maybe this, maybe this will thing that, that'll push us to 145. Well, they, 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 they say you're supposed to play the crowd. So here's a true story <laughs> that I want to, it's an Asian story. Okay. And at the risk of pissing some people off, but this is a true story. I'm not going to mention the name of the place, but let's just say it's on the North shore of Boston. It's the largest Asian restaurant in new England. I think in, the, in, the, in the country, in the country, I did not they know serve that. 20, they serve 25,000 meals on a weekend. Well, I guess the, the jig's up now. We got to tell them who it is, right? No, nah, we don't. They'll, they'll no, it. they'll figure it out. So <laughs> I'm going there to do a show. I used to do the shows in the big room upstairs and a lot of fundraisers. So one of the shows I was upstairs one time and I had a lot of friends in the Boston area that would come and visit me before the show. One of my friends was a really nice man. He was a Jewish guy. And we're sitting at the bar before the show started. And we had a, uh, I, I assume, a Chinese bartender. And he asked me, what, what do you want? And um, we order our drinks. And we, we get to talking that my Jewish friend says, you know, I've never seen a yarmulke, you know, the, the beanie, the Jewish beanies, on an Asian person. So we stopped the bartender and asked him, said, excuse me, um, is this such a thing as a Chinese Jew? Do you have any Chinese Jews? And he, he, he looked bewildered and he said, Chinese Jews, let me go ask in kitchen. <laughs> so we went through the swinging door, true story. But through the swinging doors, there's a lot of loud commotion in there. He comes out back to the bar, smug look in his face. So my Jewish friend says, uh, did you find out uh, there's such a thing? Do you have any Asian Jews or Chinese Jews? And he says, <laughs> he says, no Chinese Jews, tomato Jews, orange Jews. Pineapple juice. <laughs> no Chinese juice. <laughs> oh, okay. Along that line, that, that's hysterical. That, but that—that's not a joke. Joke. That's a real. That's a real thing. Right. Scott's honor. That actually happened. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. So I worked for the Japanese for years, and as in uh, for Fuji Film. And uh, we had a client who was going to Japan who wanted to visit the factory. And this wasn't a very big account, but whatever. And the Japanese, it's amazing. They, they really cater to customer service is huge. So I told them that I put in a request that Ron, Mr. Kata, Mr. Carter was going to Japan and he would like to go to the factory. Now the factory, he was going to be in Tokyo, but the factory was like a half a day's ride to wherever they made the film. And I had been to the factory and we started to get all kinds of resistance that uh, I would get phone calls directly from the Japanese high, high, high corporate executives, uh, officers, you know, uh, Mr. Hayes, uh, we know Mr. Kata want to go to factory. I said, yes, he does. He wants to. Oh, uh, not so good. <laughs> we 
we tell Mr. Kata, we take him to dinner in Tokyo, very nice restaurant. He and his wife, any place I want to go, wonderful meal, he says, don't. Okay, I'll ask him. I go back to Mr. Carter. Hey, listen, they said, you know, it's a day, half a day's ride, this and that. I, they're going to take you to dinner. I, I'm really disappointed. I really want to see where the film is made. Oh, I come back. I, no, Mr. Carter says he really wants to see where the film Oh, okay. And so this goes up and up. I get a call from a higher official. Mr. Mr. Hayes, you tell Mr. Carter, we like to take him to factory, but a whole day ride. Uh, very, very tedious. It would take them to not only dinner, we take them to show sumo wrestler. We go there and even we go later to Geisha Girl. Yeah, yeah, see if he wants. So I go back. No, I still want to go to the factory. So I go back. This goes on for a week. Finally, I get the guy at the highest level. He says, Oh, is okay. We take Mr. Carter to the factory, but you tell Mr. Carter, we make film in dark. He not see very much. <laughs> <laughs> so I said to the guy, excuse me, they'll take you, but they want to tell you, they make the film in the dark. <laughs> So he took the dinner. <laughs> well, I got to tell you another true story. Speaking of that is when I lived in the Berkshires, I, I was uh, I left the, my brothers, the band, and I, I was starting to get my chops down with doing Happy Hours on the Cape with John Morgan and and, uh, and traveling around. And I found that my interaction with people was the most important thing. You know, I was a good musician, but that was part of the layers of the dynamic. But one time I worked in a Lebanese restaurant in Lee, Massachusetts. I'll never forget this. And the owner loved me so much. He says, I'm going to bring you down to Brooklyn. And you play in Brooklyn, you be star. <laughs> be star. So I'm all a tither, right? I says, oh, I'm going to finally get my big break <laughs> in Brooklyn, New York. So... This is a true story, too. So I walk into Brooklyn. I, I can't, I'm counting the days and the weeks that I have. I'm going down to Brooklyn. This is this place. So I walked in. It's a Lebanese restaurant right on the Hudson. And it's place is packed. So I get up on stage and I'm going, okay, I'm going to give it what for, right? And I start my act and I tell, uh, you know, a joke. Silence, total silence. <laughs> Nobody in the place spoke English. <laughs> Nobody. I'm not making that up. Nobody spoke English. The biggest <laughs> applause of the night was when some girl got up and sang the Lebanese national anthem. <laughs> True story. Oh, God. You know, we... Uh... I, I, I knew that if once we started, there'd be, there'd be no end. Oh. One of the things that, uh, you know, we would take the, whenever there was a problem, a technical problem with film, we'd take somebody from Japan with us to the customer so they could explain it to them so they could go back and correct it. And these guys would were just amazed at the English language and they got a chance to 
hear the different accents, the different regionalities and the idioms, especially they used to keep one guy would keep a pad of paper and take it out and he'd write down anything he heard that was new. So one day somebody said in one of the things that, um, oh, it, it, this stuff will blow your socks off. Okay. So he comes out to the car with right and he says, oh, Mr. Hayes, uh, how you write bro, bro, <laughs> bro, well, how do you say bro your socks off? <laughs> yeah, it's blow your socks, bro your socks off, bro you, bro your socks off. Mr. Hayes, how possible you can blow your socks off? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, you don't really blow your socks off. It's a saying. <laughs> well, it's funny to, to do the, the, the different things. And this is where it comes back to, again, Tom, we come back to the point where, uh, you know, we learn all of these routines from real life experiences. And you and I, we have the responsibility to take these and turn them into funny stories for people. Our responsibility is to bring people some laughter and joy as much as we can. And we're still trying to do that now. Oh, we yeah, still are doing that. Well, you know, I did a wonderful podcast with Brian Culkin, an author who's done 15 books, everything from, um, there is no such thing as Boston anymore. He's talked about the transition with the politics and the demographics uh, to uh, articles on Trump to the, the end of boxing. He did a great uh, film about how boxing is no longer an urban sport uh, as it used to be. It used to be a sport of the immigrants. You know, whichever immigrant wave came in, it was the, in fact, the Jewish, uh, when it, the Jewish wave, there were a lot of the, the heavyweight champions were Jewish. And then the right. Italians and the Irish and the whole flow. And um, so, you, you know, they, that um, I just, <laughs> just had a senior moment where I was going with this. But um, so, you know, this whole immigrant thing. And it, so we did a thing about cancel culture. And we it's a follow-up to a thing we did last week. <clears throat> and the point he was making is that in, in this directly affects us, Bucky, because, you know, we caught the, la the wave just before COVID. We were both getting censured right. and, yeah, and uh, censored and censured both. And so he said he went to the roots of cancel culture, that it's really a projection of a person's inner state. People who are happy <laughs> are not going around trying to trying to censure somebody who's like us who's trying to do a good thing yeah well, I, I don't want to get into that i don't want no, to I know into, we won't, you know but, what i mean but, but I, just to address it but yes we're fighting well the point i'm trying to make is we talked about that and in the last two minutes i said uh well you know i used scrooge as an example as a character that scrooge was this miserable person who went and then after his nightmares decided to become not only change his attitude and his mindset but to be merry all of a sudden it was merry christmas and brian made the distinction he says it's one thing to be happy but it's another tom, thing tom tom uh before you go into the explanation you have to understand we're in a trans world now so how do you spell merry <laughs> 
Are we still on the air? <laughs> <laughs> Not for long, I'm sure. <laughs> so anyway, he said, uh, happy is about yourself. But when you're married, you have to outreach. And so we ended the, the conversation talking about the actual problem to what a shift to go from thinking about canceling culture to being merry. And that's what we do. We think about every single day. Well, I, I know that uh, I was lucky enough because when I went back in television with this uh, Wicked Yankee TV, um, <clears throat> I, I was playing some pretty good sized theaters and rooms bringing in 800,000 people. And if I would have kept on relying on that, and then I get back on the television because I always had this adage that, uh, oh, it's another night on stage. It's time to repaint the Mona Lisa. But when you do it this way with a podcast or a film or television or a book or whatever, you're not doing that. You're, 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 you, you have this for posterity. And that's important. Well, you know, um, PBS did a great documentary on the beginnings of Hollywood and how it, it didn't occur until Edison uh, created the motion picture camera and uh, how, of course, they did the silent movies, et cetera. And that most of the theaters that started, they called them Nickelodeons because right. that's what it cost was a nickel to get in. They, they were used to the grocery business where you had a building and the way you had money was to take, bring in product and sell a product. They didn't create the product. <clears throat> and so they learned that when Hollywood made a film, the only way they could continue, and, and they thought, it was, first of all, one film could be shown 20 times a day. They weren't very long. So there was continual flow of money you know, fill us up. Right. So they realized this is a gold mine because we only have to make one thing and show it repeatedly. This is what exactly what you're talking about. Right. It, is that instead of, you know, vaudeville, the guys had to come in and be in the stage and that show's over. That's it. Next town. Well, you see, it's I'm glad you mentioned vaudeville because vaudeville is is the kind of show that I was raised to do is music and then comedy and then talking and speaking and you know that whole dynamic change rather than just a, the monologue type thing but vaudeville i guess the point i'm making here tom is that we can't lose touch with what has built uh joy and fun in the entertainment business through all these years and uh, we don't want to listen to the cancel culture. We, we know we get our work cut out for us, uh, for the younger people because of the socialisms that are, have just disappeared. So I, I'm very excited about the future. Yeah, and you know, as you know, I, I'm in, uh, you know, I started a toy company. I started as a children's entertainer. Uh, and then one of the things that we found along the way that the toys were a great product and got lots of interest but we started to hear uh, you have to have a storyline. You and this, you know, again, just falling into this thing, I didn't understand. And then it was sense they said that if you create a character, then in a storyline, then people will want, and we see it with Mickey Mouse, we see it with right. merchandise. We talk about Star Wars all the time. They didn't want Hollywood didn't want to do Star Wars. 
And um, Lucas said, okay, just give me the merchandise. And he makes more money on a Star Wars film from merchandise from the toys alone. So anyway, you're absolutely right. I now am doing animations and thanks to you, you said to me, you know, to do it the TV show, if you could come up with a PSA. Right. And so I started- Yeah, you really headed strong with that. Yeah, so again, it, it, not only to entertain children, but to leave a message, for example, less screen time, less uh, less interest on being liked. Um, so, but but that's the power we have through What's driving that, Bucky, is our sense of humor. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, with that, as we start to roll down this uh, this great podcast today, um, with that, where do you think? What what do you think the future is going to hold? Do you think people's? I know for for uh, for real that people's uh, uh, societal sense of humor has been dormant because of this COVID thing. Do you think that whole thing is going to come back and you think we can perpetuate that energy to the younger people? Yeah, I, you know, I don't have the answer to that. I know from an individual basis exactly. I think we, we always have to follow our guts. And I think we, we're both on the same level because of what we saw with the attitudes. We're not anxious to get in a car and drive two or three hours to get on a stage for 45 minutes and drive another two or three hours back to do that. So I think you're right. I think what we're going to have more power with things like this, where, you know, we put this out. God knows how quickly our ratings might go up in Vietnam. You know? <laughs> well, they're building up in England, too, you said, right? Well, that's the, right. The we, get, yeah. we get reports from England. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree. And you, what we always talk about when we do this, we take people into the green room, don't we? Yes, you absolutely. Know. The green room. I, I uh, And getting back to that, we should leave our great listeners and viewers here with with a couple of more personal stories. You want me to start or you want to start? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm too busy thinking about my tooth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was, um, it, it's funny because as you know, I, I specialize in my uh, career of, of bringing people up on stage and doing things. I had learned that. From a, from a youngster watching the old vaudevillians would, would bring people up. There was a guy named Billy Kelly, a very classy uh, comedian from, I think he was Saugus or Lynn or someplace like that. He would, uh, he did a lot of cruise ships. He traveled the world with his wife doing that stuff. And he did a thing, the Ted Lewis routine, Me and My Shadow, right? You know that song, Me and yeah, My yeah, Shadow? Yeah. Well, what he would do is that he had a, he always had a tux and had a beautiful top hat. And then, of course, he would bring up this pudgy, unkempt guy from the audience. He would put on a, a uh, crazy Guggenheim hat, you know, over the guy's ears, you know, so make him look totally foolish. The, the trick that I liked, he would do if the guy had a uh, suit coat on, he would unbutton the suit coat, bring it up over his, uh, you know, his shoulders like this like you know it was just so funny and then he would do the the hands me and my shit you know and it's just it was such brain so i learned from those guys that so the guy was supposed to follow him it, he was supposed to follow him right behind him as a shadow 
Yeah. Oh my God. Hysterical. <laughs> it never worked, of course. Oh, beautiful. beautiful. But that that's the kind of thing that I used to do is bring people up on stage. And I had some great moments with people. I, I did, as you know, and a lot of my fans know, I used to do a, a, a big thing on on I come, no come in, in a Chinese routine, right? And of course, that got me kicked out early on from the colleges to doing that doing that routine. I, I, <clears throat> well, you know, it's all about connection and especially, you know, <clears throat> again, not to, trying to get too political, but a lot of comedians would frown on that, that that wasn't pure stand up, whatever. But the fact of the matter is the audiences loved it because they got to become, even though they weren't on stage, they totally identified with that guy. You know, the, the stage was the domain of the entertainer. The microphone on the stage gave us our power. And to put somebody, it's like taking a fish out of water is what you did. You know, the poor, the guy's swimming around and he's having fun and now you take him up and he's, what do I do here? And so there's that identification. It all comes down to connection, doesn't it? Well, it's not that just, it, it, to it, do is make a connection. It's not just connection for me. I, I was always raised that comedy is much funnier when you put a, a face to it, right? It, especially a character face. I've always been big on character comedy. I mean, look at Foster Brooks, look at some of the Charlie Callis, look at some of these guys that were just so hilarious in, in doing this kind of uh, stuff in character. And that's, that's basically been mine. That's that. It doesn't mean that's the way it's supposed to be, but that's the way that I learned how to do my comedy. But when I got a lot of people up on stage, they were from different ethnic backgrounds. It was funny. I, one time I, I had this, uh, uh, I think she was Latin American woman up on stage and uh, she could hardly speak English. And so I just, all of a sudden I blurted it out because you and I blurt things out uh, sometimes not too well. <laughs> But she, uh, I said, um, you know, you can choose to work with me or you don't. She says, choose? I says, yeah. You know the difference between choice and choose? And she said, huh? I said, well, choice is a decision you make. Choose where you, where you wear on your feet. <laughs> It sounded funny at the time. <laughs> well, Tom, I, I look forward to doing this again, again, and again. And we're going to come up with more great stories. Uh, any other thoughts before we wrap this up today? Well, just uh, on the note, you know, as I've said before, so many times we'll be doing jokes and we'll, we'll be slaying the audience. And the power of story that when you did a, a joke that was a story, what always amazed me is the room would become silent. You know, in, in, if you're in a bar or a club, there's always movement, there's always noise, there's drinks, there's people talking. But the power of the story that went to set up, you know, so this, guy, this guy's driving down the street, boom. You know, it's like telling them a bedtime story. And so, you know, we, we kind of talked about, we didn't know what to do today, but I think if they're still with us, folks, you enjoyed our stories. <laughs> right. Well, it is the stories. And, and the very fact, see, this is more three-dimensional as opposed to watching television. And, and you have a sitcom that has canned laughter nowadays. And it's not really 
pure fun, right? Pure entertainment, pure spontaneity. Well, one of the things that I'm finding out about Zoom is once we have a following, you know, we once we're really hot in Vietnam, <laughs> we can we Vietnam. Can, we can find their Facebook, God knows what it is, uh, or, or whatever, and, and put a Zoom link that they could actually join the meeting. And so though we may, we may even put them on, I mean, but that's the potential of what we're looking at today, aren't right. we? We could actually work to a live audience. So on behalf of my special sidekick co-host tom hayes who's learning a different way to whistle <laughs> i'm your host for today's uh podcast uh for wicked laughs bucky lewis on the beautiful beautiful shores of lake guttapee here <laughs> in new hampshire we'll see you next time yeah and make some make somebody laugh today folks <laughs>